Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our way through this epistle. We'll begin tonight in Ephesians chapter 5 by reading verses 9 through 17. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so up to this point, we've seen that we're to be followers of God or imitators of God here in this chapter. As God forgave us for Christ's sake, so we are to forgive others. And we saw in verse 2 that we are to love as Christ loves, which is a sacrificial love because he gave himself for us. As is clear from the title of this epistle, it's written to the church in Ephesus, it's to the Ephesians. That culture was very pagan, it was very wicked, it was very immoral. Their Greek temples that they had throughout were largely built off of the temple prostitutes that worked at the temple. In the worship of these false gods, these false Greek gods, they would have um, this wicked immorality taking place. And Ephesus, if you remember, it was the temple of the goddess Diana. And as a result of that, the city was filled with all kinds of wicked immorality. And so... It was filled with all this immorality, all this sin, all this wickedness and the worship of their false gods. And so Paul writes in verses 3 and 4 that fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become his saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient. And in verse 5 he writes, for this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And these Christians at Ephesus were going to have to be those who would stand for right and for truth in a day of rampant immorality. And Paul was calling them to a higher standard, to God's standard. He's calling them to live righteously, They were going to have to go against the cultural norms of their day. It was normal in their day to worship at the the temple of Diana and commit all kind of wickedness. And now in Christ, he says, look, you can't do those things. You have to now live at a higher standard of holiness. And Paul is telling them that they need to have Moral absolutes in a day when there were none. So he writes in verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't let their 
words, their teaching, their false teaching entice you in a way to believe that it's okay to mix that stuff in in your religion. Don't buy into those vain words. You can't mix the two lifestyles. Don't be like the pagans. And I believe we're living in a day just like Ephesus. We may not have temples dedicated to false gods, but immorality is running rampant. Some have lived long enough to see the moral fabric in America completely decay in your lifetime. You remember when divorce was rare, when homosexuals were still in the closet, when children born out of wedlock was frowned upon? And have you ever just paused for a moment to think that the children growing up today will never know a society like that? It's kind of depressing. They're growing up today in a culture where divorce is the norm. Single mothers are celebrated on TV. And I'm talking about immoral single moms. Where shacking up is recommended to see if you're compatible before you get married. Where homosexuality has now been legislated into law. And transgenderism is the new fad. Remember back there in the late 80s, there were two charismatic preachers by the name of Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. And remember, they were making national news because of their immorality. Even the pagans back in the 80s were judging the church. It's been going downhill ever since. Today, it's no longer big news when a preacher is found to be guilty of immorality because it's almost now accepted as commonplace. In fact, we live in a day now where a church is considered progressive if they allow sinful immorality into the pulpit, into the church, into leadership. That somehow you are now setting the best social standard by allowing homosexuality and all the rest into the church. Now listen, if you're battling with homosexuality tonight... You're welcomed here. We want you to get right with God. I want to reach you with the gospel, but you're not welcome to spread that sin. Now it's considered you're with the times if you're allowing those things in church. And now, instead of what was happening back there just 30, 40 years ago, where the world was saying that's not accepted in the church, now we are being told today that for a church to stand on moral absolutes, that somehow they are wrong. It's considered out of place. We are now backwards for preaching against immorality and homosexuality and transgenderism. God has a holy standard. And as much as, as, much as we're going to welcome people in, we're not going to stop preaching God's word. In our text, the, the church is being told to be morally pure. And... And I want you to understand that it's not just that the majority needs to be pure. Paul writes that it should not be once named among you. It's not just a majority of the church. God's standard is that the entire body be pure. Not one of us should be fornicating be unclean or coveting or 
speaking filthy or foolish, moronic talking. We should not be jesting to where we take an innocent statement and turn it into something sexual. That's not my standard, that's God's standard. And so in verse 7, it says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't participate with those who do. Because when we do, we are emulating those who have not been saved, that according to verse 5, have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, and those in verse 6 who have the wrath of God abiding upon them. Therefore, we are told in verse 8 that we are to walk as children of light because we are now the light of the world. Jesus said as much. We're the salt. We're the light. So with that as kind of a semi-recap, a little bit of a background, let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to Unto the Lord. We briefly touched on those two verses last time, but I wanted to start tonight in these two verses because I didn't get to what I part of what I was going to say last time. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I said last week you will live the right way once you present yourself a living sacrifice to God. Then you have no doubt as to what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. And when you do that, you're not going to struggle with whether or not this is allowed or whether or not that is allowed, whether or not this is right or wrong. Because at that point, we start walking in the Spirit. And and when we do that, it's it's goodness and righteousness and truth. And, And it's no longer a matter of how close can I get to Babylon? How close can I get to Egypt? How close can I get to the world but still be on God's side. We won't try to justify our sinfulness. When we walk in the Spirit, we prove what is acceptable or pleasing to God. But this is kind of what I want to emphasize starting tonight is every day we live with decisions that we have to make. Your whole life is made up of decisions. Uh, the decisions you make every day lead to who you are today. And so it's all about the decision-making that we have to do as, as believers. Now, we rub elbows with the world every day. And it's, it's nearly impossible to abstain totally from any bad influence. And we're going to see in a moment you're not supposed to. But it's almost impossible to get away from that. And so we're, we're going to rub up in the world. We're, we're going we're to get some of that on us. But here's the thing. As the world begins to celebrate their sinfulness, we have a decision on whether or not we're going to partake in that. Whether or not we are going to choose to partake with them. Whether or not we're going to choose holiness or wickedness whether we are going to choose God's way or the world's way. Now, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. They were to put the blood upon the the door, the doorpost, the lintel. And God brought them out. 
And then he, in a picture of, that was a picture of salvation. And then a picture of baptism. He takes them through the Red Sea. The, the, the Red Sea closes over the Egyptian army. God drowns them in the sea. And then they travel three days into the wilderness. And they have no water. Y'all familiar with this? We can turn there if we need to. Or otherwise, I'm just going to kind of tell you about it. It's in Exodus 7, uh, 15, if you need it, verses 22 down. But they, they came to some water, but it was bitter water. And, and the place was called Mara, meaning bitter. And the people began to murmur against Moses. What shall we drink? And Moses cries unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him there a tree, which if he would cut down that tree and cast it in the waters, the bitter waters would be made sweet. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ's death upon the cross. His death upon the tree takes our bitter life and makes it sweet. Amen. But with that, with that example of the waters, God was going to teach Israel a lesson. The Bible says He made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there He proved them. God was saying to them, now I need you to learn from what just took place. And this is what it says. And he said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of those diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. It, it kind of sounds like if you'll walk in the goodness and righteousness and truth, those fruits of the Spirit there from verse 9. And, and, and what God told them back there in the wilderness, it sounds an awful lot like what God says in Revelation 18.3, where mystery Babylon has fallen and He says, you need to come out of her, my people, and be not partakers with her plagues. Or with her sins or else you're going to experience her plagues. Israel was being faced with a decision. They had a choice. Just like all of God's children do every day. There can be Mara in your life or bitterness by not choosing God's way. Or there can be sweetness in your life by choosing God's way. You can follow the ways of Egypt and you can be partakers of their unfruitful works of darkness. But there's going to be bitterness. It's going to be a bitter life with a bitter marriage, with bitter children, bitter relationships, and a bitter death. It's bitterness. Or you can choose God's way by following the way of the tree the way of the cross, the way of sweetness. And then after Mara, get this, God leads them to a place called Elam. And the Bible says there, there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. Some of us get the picture of a coconut tree. But in those places, they have the date tree, the date palm tree. And if you've ever had dates, they're very sweet. And they won't grow where there's bitter water. And, and, and so God here is teaching them there's bitterness in life, but 
if you'll do those things that I've, I've asked you to do, if you'll do what is right, if you'll give ear to my commandment, if you'll keep my statutes, I can take you to a place like Elam. I can take you somewhere that is sweet. Somewhere away from the bitter waters. You see, God gave them bitterness in their murmuring, in their complaining. But then after he said, look, if you'll diligently hearken after me, I can take you from Mara to Elam. I can take you from bitter to sweet. And so the first lesson that God's trying to teach them as they come out of Egypt through the blood, baptized through the Red Sea, they get there. The first lesson God's trying to teach them is you've got a choice to make. You've got a choice to make as you start this Christian life. You've got a choice to make as you journey towards the promised land. Our life is made up of choices. And and you can be partakers of Egypt's way where there's bitterness, heartache, pain, curses. Or you can follow that acceptable way of God where there's sweetness, there's refreshment, there's blessings. God was, was proving, listen now, He was proving what was acceptable and pleasing to Him. I don't like your murmuring and your complaining and your sinfulness. I don't like your ways of Egypt. But if you'll do what my word says, I'll take you over here where it can be sweet. Which do you want? Do you want Mara or Elam? Some in here tonight have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been baptized, but you've never learned to walk a life acceptable to God. You've decided to live a life your way. And it's been bitter. You've chosen the world's way. And as I talk with people, there's a selfishness that says, I really don't care what God's word says. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's why you're bitter. That's why there's no victory. That's why you're in the wilderness. That's why you're at Mara. But others have learned that their ways are the ways of death. And that the best way is to go God's way. Their life has been sweet, full of joy. They've discovered the blessings in choosing not to be partakers with Egypt and the world. And, and, and I want you to understand, it's the same lesson that God tries to teach to every new generation. Every next generation, God tries to teach this lesson. You've got a choice to make. When Moses died and Joshua takes over, it's the first lesson that God gives to Joshua and the people. Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God says you've got a choice to make. There's blessings or there's, or there's curses. David takes over as king in the first psalm in our The way it's arranged for us in Psalm 1, what did David pen there? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that brings forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth doeth shall prosper. Are you catching up on the theme? Oh, but he says the ungodly are not so. But they're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God cautions every generation to follow Him in His word in order to have His blessings. In one sense, understand what I'm trying to say here. In one sense, we don't have to prove what is good and acceptable unto the Lord because we have the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that all of that that happened back then was written for our admonition, for our example, for our instruction. And we are to look at other people's mistakes and go, that's not what I'm going to choose. Aren't you glad it's David's sins and not yours that's written down? You would not want me up here. We're to learn from this. But if you're not in God's Word enough, I would tell you this, that even a casual comparison between those who have chosen Mara and those who have chosen Elam, you'll see a difference. You'll notice that The children of disobedience are going the way of Egypt and they're not happy. You'll notice that the faithful Christian who chooses that which is acceptable to God. And you'll you'll, you'll notice immediately the difference between the two. Now if you've walked with God for any length of time, you know this is true. And you can spot it out real quick. In one you find bitterness, in the other you find sweetness. In one, you find worry. In the other, you find peace. In one, you find sorrow. And in the other, you find joy. And just by looking, you can prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 10. You can tell right right away the difference between the two. And, And you'll know right away what is pleasing to God and what isn't. I don't have to look at too many marriages until I go... Aha, that's not what I want, and that's what I want. And I don't have to look at too many people who are falling away outside of church to say, that's not what I want. I know that. I can tell. I can see your life is falling apart. I can see that you're living in misery. And I'm over here saying, thank God, keep me faithful. Keep me in. Keep me solid. Keep me grounded. Keep me like the tree planted by the waters. When you choose rightly what is pleasing unto the Lord, you're naturally going to do verse 11, which says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, this is not saying that you need to stop all contact with wicked people. That's not what it's saying. Us good fundamentalists like to make it say that. But it's not saying that. It doesn't say the workers of darkness. It says the works of darkness. 
We're to have no fellowship with their unfruitful works of darkness. Jesus was called a friend of publicans and sinners. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and now we are told to do the same thing. But that will require us to be around those who are in darkness. It may even require us to some extent to befriend them in order to gain some sort of influence, some sort of credibility in order for us to talk to them about Christ. It would be really good if every one of us in here had about four or five lost people that we were able to talk to day in and day out about the things of God without partaking with, of their sinfulness and just be able to share with them the message of Christ. I'm okay with door-to-door campaigns. I'm okay with door-to-door means of broadcasting the seed. But I will tell you the most effective means is when you start interacting and building rapport and getting with somebody that knows you and can observe you and watch you and see you, hear you, and and see the things that you do and the places you go and how your marriage is and and how your kids are. and, And they can watch that and they can say, there's something about that. That's Elam. And, and, and I'm over here in Mara. It'd be good if we would not look at a verse like that and say, well, I can't reach out to the lost because I'm not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. No, you're still supposed to go to the lost. But let's not forget that while Jesus was called a friend of publicans and sinners, he was also called the Holy One of God. Which means that while he was witnessing to those and he was reaching those who were wicked, he was not partaking of their sins. Therefore, when you're having lunch with your sinful co-workers, they start with their foul mouths. You don't involve yourself in that. You don't have to join in. When they invite you to the bar... You don't go. I, I can tell you as, as a guy who was active duty, I, I remember every time you get to a new assignment, hey, do you want to go? Do you want to go? Do you? And you just keep saying no. You just keep saying no, no, no. And eventually they just start to respect you enough to not even ask you. It means when uh, somebody you're with begins to flirt with the waitress that you don't do that. Man, that makes me uncomfortable. And it really should as a believer. When they talk about their sinful programming, you don't go home and check it out. You see, we don't fellowship with their sinfulness. That word fellowship here, it means this, to share in company with, to co-participate in. We don't join ourselves to their sinfulness because that would cause us to be unequally yoked. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? But the end of verse 11 there says, we are rather to reprove them. Hmm. Therefore, as opportunity presents itself, we reprove them in a way that is not bashing them over the head. Because we ought to remember what we were once. 
And we ought to remember that God was sure enough patient with us. We don't have to be a jerk about it. But we need to say something because our goal is to convince them of their sinfulness before a holy God. Now, when it comes to those within the church, we handle things a little bit differently. This is telling us, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. When we go to the world and we see their wickedness and we see how they're acting and we see what we hear what they're saying and all those things, we chalk it up to, well, that's what we expect the world to do. That's what we expect the lost to do. Amen? That's what the lost do. And so we just say, well, I understand that's, that's what they do. But when it comes to a professing child of the light, the Bible says we're to go to that person. We're to go to that person privately first, one-on-one. Breck, you've done something that I disagree with. I go to Breck. I don't start just going to Facebook. (laughs) I go to that person. Grace, in your neck, so quit smiling. (laughs) We tell that one privately of the trespass against us. And if they will hear us, the Bible says, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he won't hear you one-on-one, then the Bible says you have to take one or two more. That in the mouths of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be established. If he still neglects to hear that, then we go before the church. If he neglects to hear the church, then the Bible says we let him be as a heathen man. That's not my doctrine, that's not my teaching, that's Christ. And the point is this, we are to deal with the unfruitful works of darkness by reproving those works, reproving those unfruitful, those dark works. The Corinthian church was known as the carnal church. They had darkness in their camp and it wasn't being dealt with. Over there in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed." In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And so the Bible says this man was fornicating with his father's wife, most likely his stepmother. But the Corinthian church was puffed up about it. You know what that means? They were proud of it. They were glorying in it. Now, that sounds like some churches today who are proud to accept the wicked immorality that the Bible teaches against. Wickedness. So Paul gives the principle, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and 
what do we do in that case? He writes in the next verse, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so we're not to tolerate that kind of immorality in the church. In fact, verse 12 of our text says, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now I'm going to have to end just by reading verse 13. If the Lord wills, we'll come back to it. But the Bible says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And so we are to live as children of light. Let's live acceptable unto the Lord, pleasing unto the Lord. Let's not have fellowship or join in with the unfruitful works of darkness. Let's be a holy church. A holy church. That's what he's purchased. Let's be a church where the community knows we have something real. And it's something they need. You see, when we start letting that immorality in, what we tell the world is we're no different. And that this God that we claim is so great and so big can't even change our lives. We need to strive for holiness. None of us are perfect, amen? We're all going to commit sin, I get that. And when we do, we get it under the blood. I'm not trying to just make light of it, but we need to get it under the blood and move on. But we need to be people of light. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the challenge from your word. For teaching us in your word how we can prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. That we can walk in the spirit and goodness and righteousness and truth. And, and in so doing, we can abstain from the unfruitful works of darkness. But God, help us not to look at those who commit such things as unreachable, unsavable, unlovable. But God, may we look at those and say, you died for them. May we be patient and long-suffering and giving of the word. Lord, give us all people in our lives that are lost so that we can continually be fishers of men. We can constantly be trying to reach the lost for your sake. You're worthy. And so help us to walk when we leave this place as children of light, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.